From PQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. My name is Stephen O'Connor, and I'm going to be reading Ziggurat, a story from my new collection, Here Comes Another Lesson. The new girl sat at the computer in the corner playing Ziggurat, Panic, and U-Turn. This was in the pine panel section of the labyrinth, which is where the Minotaur had been hanging out lately, mainly because he didn't remember ever having been there before, and he liked sleeping on the pool table. The new girl was smaller than most of the others, peanut-colored. Her shoulders shook, her fingers twitched on the computer keys, making noises like munching rodents. Her eyes were filled with rhomboids of white, then blue, then red, yellow, then red again, lots of red. And they were separated by two wrinkles that said to the Minotaur, Go away, I'm too busy for you. It is true that the Minotaur was very strong, and that his head was nearly as wide as his shoulders, but in fact he didn't really look like a bull. He had no horns, no ring through his nose. He was just very, very ugly. His lips were fat and earthworm pink. His eyes were asymmetrical, and his eyebrows were like forests of black wire. The same with the hair on his head and on his cheeks, which was indistinguishable from the hair on his body. He didn't walk like a normal person. He lumbered. That was just the way he was born. All the other girls had run when they'd seen the Minotaur. The women, too, and the boys. Some of the men had tried to fight, not that it mattered. The end had always been the same. The Minotaur, patting his belly, pulling a sucked femur from between his slick lips. No one had ever been too busy. He watched the way the new girl's shoulders sometimes rose as high as her ears, and how, at other times, she leaned way over to the right or left. But always that jerky twitching, always that smacking of rodent lips... After a while, he went right up behind her and leaned down close enough to savor her smell. She didn't cringe. She didn't even glance away from the screen. Just twitch, twitch, twitch. Clickety, clackety, click. Click, click, click. Oof, she would say. Oh, my God. On the screen, a square tower rose stone by stone. The stones were carried by angels. Red devils would attack the angels, and the angels would drop the stones. Sometimes a big blue hand would come down out of the sky and sweep away one or more levels of the square tower, or even the whole thing. Every time the tower was reduced to rubble and dust, the face belonging to the hand would appear. It was a sad face, with big round glasses and a mustache like a pair of bluebird wings. Oof, said the new girl. To the Minotaur, humanity consisted of loud noises and a series of cowardly and craven acts running, etc., curses, self-soiling. It was not uncommon for one human being to push another into his path, or even to kill that human being and stretch the cadaver out on the ground as an offering. Human beings would needle the minotaur with knives. They would sprinkle his hide with lead. They would pound him with their fists the way flies pound themselves against windows. They would attempt to reason with him, and sometimes they would get down on their knees and weep with their hands clasped in front of their chins. They would kiss his feet. None of this made any difference, of course. Wham! Crunch! Splurt! Mmm! Mmm! Tasty! Oh, no! the new girl said. Oh, shit! Her smell filled the minotaur's sinuses and engendered slobber. At one point, he brought his lips so close to her shoulder that he could feel his breath bounce back off her skin. Why not, he thought. Why not right now? There's not a reason in the world. But he didn't. 
Instead, he went and leaned against the pool table. He would wait a bit. He wanted to see what would happen. His life was not exactly what you would call variety-packed, and he had this feeling that something unusual was in the works. Clickety-clackety-click, twitch-jerk-jerk, twitch-twitch, oof! He noticed how the new girl's hair swung heavily like a velvet curtain, dark brown but also red, the color of old rust, only shiny. He noticed how parts of her jiggled and how he could see every knob of her vertebrae except for the two between her shoulder blades. Thunder rumbled from one side of his gut to the other, drool wet his belly. Finally, he got up and lumbered off to a tile tunnel where he could always find a skulking dog or two, sometimes whole packs. He baited a dog until it lunged, then he snatched it mid-leap and ripped it in half. As he returned to the pool table, a warmth spread from his belly through his chest and into his massive shoulders. He burped. Nothing had changed. Click-clickety, twitch-chuck-chuck-chuck. He stretched out on the pool table and was soon asleep. Are you really the Minotaur? the new girl asked when he opened his eyes. She was leaning over him, those same two wrinkles between her eyebrows, but this time they said, huh, weird. Are you? she asked. When you first came in here, I thought you were, and I just kept on playing the game because I didn't want to see what you were going to do, but then you fell asleep. The new girl was silent a while. Then she said, I probably shouldn't be standing so close to you. I mean, you might just grab me and gobble me up, right? If you really are the Minotaur, I mean. She took a step away, folded her arms across her chest. The lines had disappeared from between her eyes. There was a twist in one corner of her mouth, as if something were not right in her stomach. So are you? she said. The minotaur swung his legs around and sat up on the edge of the pool table. His head was at least a yard higher than hers. Four of her could easily have stood between one of his shoulders and the other. As she waited for him to speak, she took another step backward. But whatever was not right in her stomach got worse, or so it seemed to the minotaur. Yes he said. Oh, boy, she swallowed. I guess my goose is cooked. He looked at her for a long moment, and then he slipped off the pool table and said, Excuse me. When the minotaur returned, there was a trickle of blood descending from a corner of his mouth and pinkish flecks of gristle in his beard. The new girl was back at the computer, clicking away at the keys. She glanced up, and the Minotaur could tell from the way her eyes reverted instantly to the screen that she had seen something disgusting on his face. But she didn't say anything. Jerkity, click, click, click. Her eyes went yellow, then blue, then red. The Minotaur ran his hand over his beard and felt the flecks of gristle. He brushed them away and licked up the blood trickle with his exceedingly long purple tongue. Then he stepped up beside her and looked at the screen. There was the sad-faced man with the bluebird wing's moustache. "'What are you playing?' the minotaur asked. "'Cigarette,' the new girl told him. And when he didn't say anything in reply, she told him about all the other games she had discovered on the computer. And then she said, "'Basically, they're all disappointment games, except this one. This one's about ambition. You're supposed to build the Tower of Babel before God knocks it down. But usually that ends up being a disappointment game, too.' And when the Minotaur still didn't say anything, she said, Basically, this is a pretty stupid bunch of games. Then why do you play them? the Minotaur asked. Just... The new girl blushed, then went pale. 
Well, you know, it's, it's like I said before. And then she put her hands in her lap and became very quiet and seemed to shrink to half her size. The Minotaur figured this was just her way of telling him that the time had come for him to eat her. But just as his big lips went glossy and he was baring his shovel teeth, she said, I like to play pool, though. Pool's a great game. Do you like to play pool? The Minotaur looked over at the table, which he was embarrassed to discover had been stained by many nights of drool, as well as by other secretions. He wasn't quite sure why this embarrassed him, however. Embarrassment had not played a big part in his long life. I don't know, he said. And when he saw that the new girl did not fully comprehend his answer, he said, I've never played. Do you want me to teach you? she asked. The Minotaur shrugged. The new girl beat the pants off the Minotaur three times in a row. Even though he didn't particularly seem to mind, she worried that he might get irritated or bored if he kept losing, so she decided to acquaint him with a more advanced level of strategy. She gave him tips about wrist action, momentum, angles of incidence, about which part of the cue ball to hit when, and about the need to care just enough that you noticed you cared, but no more than that. The Minotaur turned out to be a fast learner. On their fifth game, he beat her fair and square. Against the wall beside the pool table was a half-sized refrigerator jammed with beer. Oh, wow, the new girl said. She looked at the Minotaur and pulled out a bottle of Rolling Rock. Want one? Thanks. He took the bottle and held it up a few inches from the end of his nose. His bristling eyebrows buckled in a way that made him seem excessively stupid, like a caveman examining a light bulb. When he saw the new girl twist the top off her bottle, he did the same. And when she took a sip, he did too. Oh, he said, and examined the bottle even more attentively. Something wrong, the new girl asked. No. He took another sip, which he kept in his mouth a long time his eyebrows parting, moving up his forehead, then shooting back down into a collision of uncertainty. When he swallowed, he seemed to be paying acute attention to the fluid's descent along his esophagus and into his belly. Haven't you ever had a beer before, the new girl said. Not exactly. Not exactly? I mean, no, I guess. Wow, the new girl said. You've never shot pool, you've never played computer games, and you've never drunk a beer. What have you been doing with your life? The Minotaur shrugged. I don't know, he said. Wandering, mostly. Wandering? Yeah. His lips formed an upside-down U, expressing something between defensiveness and disappointment. Just wandering? He glanced up at the ceiling and tilted his head noncommittally. Of course, he said. I'm always... You know, hungry. The Minotaur stopped talking. The new girl didn't say anything either. After close to a minute of silence, he said, Sorry. Don't worry about it, she said, but didn't meet his eye. There was another long silence. Just so you know, the new girl said, I'm not actually a virgin. That was something I... I mean, who likes to talk about that kind of stuff with her mother, you know? So I just let her believe whatever she wanted to, and... Well, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Anyhow, the main thing is, you might not like the way I taste. Too tough or something. You might get indigestion from me. She laughed nervously. The Minotaur made a small noise deep in his throat and looked away. Then he drew the back of his hand across his lips. 
Their half-empty bottles stood on the edge of the pool table. They were playing another game. What's a virgin? the Minotaur asked. You know, she insisted. He didn't. Yes, you do. They always told us virgins were like, you know, like your favorite. When the Minotaur still seemed confused, she gave him a hint. Then she gave him a bigger hint. Finally, she just explained the concept of virginity straight out. Huh, he said. And then he said, I can't see why that would affect the taste. And then he didn't say anything else. The new girl stood the butt of her cue stick on her big toe and looked down at the floor. She was shrinking again. What is the labyrinth but so much human junk? That's how the Minotaur saw it. Cathedrals, bus stations, diners, bowling alleys, subway tunnels, endless basement corridors. They all seemed profoundly pointless to him, not just because they were generally empty and unused, but as a basic fact of their existence. He could tell that human beings didn't share this opinion. He would find them on their knees in the pink and purple pools beneath stained-glass windows, their brows dark with grief and desire, their lips rippling with unvoiced words. He would find them looking impatiently at classroom clocks, unable to keep their feet still beneath their desks, or sitting atop vinyl-covered swivel stools, savoring their own tasteless and puny repast, or intertwined in bed, making all the chest and throat noises of aggression. Idiocy. All of it. None of the things they yearned for would come to pass. All their beliefs about destiny and justice, all their ritual injunctions, inhibitions, and plain-as-the-nose-on-your-face truths, trash, irrelevant, wrong, and always had been. This was shocking news to his victims. He could see it in their eyes. How could they be so stupid? The new girl asked a human question. What's your favorite part of the labyrinth? The minotaur's unequal eyes went still for a moment, then he shrugged. Come on, the new girl said. You must have a favorite place. Here came that embarrassment again, that sweatiness at his hairline, that prickling in his armpits, that heart surge that was like a form of strangulation. Why was this happening? Come on, the new girl said again. I know you're thinking of one. I can tell. Don't be shy. The new girl's face was like a soap bubble in candlelight, her voice like the slow plinking of a music box, her smell, every hair on his body stood upright. The minotaur turned and lumbered down the tunnel. Walking behind him, the new girl cried out, Do you want me to follow you? And when he didn't reply, Where are you taking me? Before all else, the minotaur was the agent of his own appetite. But sometimes, in philosophical moods, he would think of himself as a messenger bearing this ultimate truth. You were created to be destroyed. That was it. Simple. And such a shame that none of his victims had time to benefit from this insight. The Minotaur led the new girl down tunnels that seemed to have been gnawed in stone by gigantic worms, wobbling tunnels, dark, cylindrical, their walls oozing and their ceilings hung with long strands of algal slime that slapped the new girl wetly in the face and adhered to her cheeks, her neck, her fingertips. There were pipe-filled tunnels so hot the inside of her nose cracked like the bottom of an evaporated lake, tunnels lined as far as her eye could see, with toilet stalls and urinals, many of which had overflowed onto the floor. One tunnel connected a vacant basketball court to a walk-in refrigerator, 
while another was paved with glossy pink marble and smelled of incense and candle wax. In yet another tunnel, the slapping of her own feet and the minotaurs echoed and re-echoed so that it seemed as if whole nations of bats were flapping angrily around her head. The new girl was lost. Within minutes of trotting after the minotaur, she had realized that she would never be able to find her way back to the room with the pool table, beer, and computer games. She would never be able to find her way anywhere. At every turn, the geometry of the world was reinvented. Her footsteps were wholly digested by the past. Whenever the new girl and the minotaur entered a diner, there were always two cups of steaming coffee waiting on the counter, and nearby, two little stainless steel pitchers of half and half, always brimful and cool, even though there was never anyone else there, no customers, no staff. Where is everybody? the new girl asked, and instantly regretted the question, because she already knew the answer. And when the minotaur started to speak, she put her finger on his lips and said, No. The minotaur saw the new girl's eyes narrow in a way that he couldn't interpret. Fear? Pride that she alone had been spared? Some variety of awe? He didn't dare ask. Haven't you ever tried to escape? the new girl said. Escape? said the minotaur. You know, get outside. Outside what? This, she said. The labyrinth. The minotaur was silent a moment. A dew of sweat materialized on his fingertips. How do you know there's some place to escape to? He said. Because I remember it. Tell me one thing you remember. Okay, the new girl said. She looked with the interned eyes of memory. But it was like looking into a house with every wall painted black and all the lights out and every shutter down. The new girl was puzzled. Why was her brain so blank? She felt her way along corridors inside her mind. She went in and out of rooms, up and down stairs, black and black and black and black. Finally, she saw a chink of light. She walked toward it, down a long, long corridor, and gradually the chink became a door, and the door became a room. And inside the room, her mother was sitting in a rocking chair before a white fireplace, and her father and her little brother were lying on a rag rug playing chess. She started to tell the minotaur. He held up his hand. Wait a second. He was lumbering again. Follow me. He led her left and right in total blackness, up and down stairs, a long, long corridor. Finally, they were in a room where there was an oak rocker, and on the seat of the rocker, a needlepoint cushion that the new girl's mother had made herself, portraying a lamb jumping a fence. There was a white fireplace in which hooks of orange light leaped silently from wood to blackened brick. There was a chessboard on a rag rug. The king, on her father's side of the chessboard, had just fallen over. Its bottom rolled around the pivot of its top, then went over the board's edge and stopped as it hit the rug. The rocking chair was moving, too, back and forth, back and forth, as if her mother were still in it. Is this what you were talking about? the minotaur asked. The new girl didn't answer. After a while, she said, What happened to my family? The minotaur pretended not to hear her question, then glanced around the room as if he had lost something. The new girl tried to escape. She ran down tunnel after tunnel. She turned left. She turned right. 
but every turn was entirely arbitrary, and every tunnel only took her to dozens of other tunnels, some of which went on for miles, and ended in points of light so distant and pale they were like stars in other galaxies. She hid in the back of closets where mothball gas brought tears to her eyes. She hid under cars and subterranean parking lots, her cheek resting in gritty slick spatterings of motor oil. She buried herself under heaps of orange, yellow, and aquamarine laundry. But no matter where she hid, the tectonic rumble of the Minotaur's footfalls would mount and mount, until finally the door behind which she cowered was wrenched from its hinges, or the wall against which she had pressed herself was reduced to noise, dust, nuggets of mortar, and shattered brick. There you are, the Minotaur would say. He would hold out his anvil-heavy hand, and the new girl would let herself be led away. Maybe he's not so bad, she would tell herself. Maybe everything I've heard is wrong. But then, in the night, those screams, that weird whistle of tearing flesh, and in the morning, everywhere she went, that fetid stink, those heaps of sucked white femurs, fibulas, tibias, skulls, ribs. One time, the new girl asked the minotaur, Why haven't you eaten me? His answer, Because I'm not hungry. The minotaur was a novice of arc and swell and dip, a new-minted connoisseur of smooth and tender and sway. That little snippet of bird-peep that entered the new girl's voice whenever she got excited or when she thought something she had done was stupid, he wanted to put that in a box, tie it up with a leather thong, and keep it always around his neck. That way she had of elbowing him in the ribs, rolling her eyes, slapping herself on the top of her head, and saying, "'Only joking!' Why did his cobblestone feet always do a shuffling dance when she did that? Why did his shoulders squinch together and his floppy lips twist up at the corners? To his embarrassment was added shame, and the Minotaur found that he could bear his message of ultimate truth only on the sly, when the new girl was asleep or when she was looking the other way. He took to wearing a kerchief and giving his lips a hasty swipe after every meal. Then one day... The new girl was gone, and the Minotaur worried that in a moment of thoughtlessness he had gobbled her up. When he didn't see her for several weeks, he could think of no other explanation. A year passed, and then a century, and new girllessness became a fact, as simple and discreet as other facts. In a way, life became easier for the Minotaur, as easy as it had been before the new girl's arrival, but only in a way. In another way, the Minotaur began to wonder if he was getting too old for his job. His vocabulary increased. To embarrassment and shame, he added joyless. He added regret. He added lost. There were sections of the labyrinth where the walls were so far apart that if you stood beside one, you could not see the other, and where the ceiling rose so high that wads of illuminated vapor drifted beneath it, and a 10,000-watt sun was dragged across it on nearly invisible tracks. In the middle of such a place, the Minotaur constructed a square of rocks a mile across. On top of the square, he constructed another, and then another and another, until what had been merely unlikely geology became four walls, and what had been four walls became a tower. Centuries passed, and the stone tower rose to such heights that to look up at it or down from it was to become dizzy. There were collapses that began like a massive clearing of the throat, 
and ended like a prairie shuddering under the hooves of gigantic cattle. But the Minotaur developed new technologies, perfected his technique, and worked day and night, never pausing even for a moment's rest. Gradually it became clear that the tower was a pyramid, diminishing at every new level by a space just broad enough to accommodate the Minotaur's feet. And with every new layer of stone, the air got warmer and began to smell, at first something like a laundry hamper, then more like the inside of the mouth of a sun-baked cadaver. Eventually, the Minotaur discovered that the ceiling was not the translucent blue plastic he had always assumed it was, but blue-painted plaster, cracked and warped by age. When his tower was high enough that he could touch his upraised elbow to the ceiling, he went all the way back down to the bottom and climbed all the way back up, carrying a long stone roughly the size of his leg. He used the stone to knock a hole through the plaster, lathing and masonry of the supposed sky. And when the stone rattled off into emptiness on the other side, he reached up into the hole and pulled himself through. There he was, belly down in a cinder-block tunnel. But after only a few yards, the tunnel became paneled in wood and floored with a charcoal-gray indoor-outdoor carpet. Not long afterward, he found himself in the pine-paneled room where he had first met the new girl. Only the pool table had been gouged repeatedly, the felt was ragged and upstanding, a corona of slate dust spewed from every gash, and the half-sized refrigerator was on its side, door open, empty of beer. He left the room and wandered for a long time down a series of corridors so dark he could find his way only by memory. He saw the face, blue, the bluebird wings, mustache, round glasses, eyes transcendently sad, with the welling sadness of an infant, the sadness of, what have I done? The sadness of, this can't be true. The blue-faced man was sitting at a desk on which there were two stacks of crinkled, smoothed-out paper that had obviously been rescued from a trash can. In his lap rested a battered leather briefcase from which more papers stuck up like pale, petrified flames. He clutched a single piece of paper in each of his upraised hands. Excuse me, the Minotaur said. The blue-faced man lowered the piece of paper in his right hand onto his left-hand stack transferred it instantly to the right-hand stack, then lifted into the air again. Excuse me, the Minotaur repeated. Only now did the blue-faced man look in his direction. I was just wondering, the Minotaur said. The sadness of, I can't take it any more. The sadness of, what's the point? The Minotaur felt his heart go weak and his hands. I I'm sorry, the Minotaur said and for a long time he couldn't speak, deprived utterly of strength. I was wondering, he said at last, I was wondering if you had seen... Leave me alone, said the blue-faced man. I'm sorry, said the Minotaur. Please, said the blue-faced man. Hammers, chains, ice picks, and tire irons. At the intersection of four corridors, a gang of new arrivals made short work of the Minotaur, and left him stretched out on the paving stones, so much hacked meat. When he opened his eyes, the new girl was leaning over him, two lines between her eyebrows. Why didn't you fight? she said. I, I don't know, he said. Then he said, I didn't want to. Huh, 
but said the new girl, Weird. The Minotaur closed his eyes again, and when he opened them, he was alone, utterly. Where the new girl had been, there was nothing but a twist of phosphine, peanut-inflected, a stirring of empty air. He rolled onto his hands and knees, then stood up. Blood trickled from his fingertips, belly, and chin, the way water trickles in a cave. Echoing drips, minute gargles. He took one step, then another. A day or two later, the new arrivals went after the Minotaur again. But this time, everything was different. Crack of skull against skull, clang of falling weapons, pleading eyes, teeth-tearing air, slice, rip, slurp, burp. It was all over before the Minotaur had even noticed. The Minotaur wandered drafty spaces that smelled like a paper mill, all that pounding, so much muck on his feet. Sometimes a yellowish light laminated the wall at a bend in the tunnel, and the Minotaur was sure the new girl was hiding just around the corner. But as his footfalls shook dust streams from the ceiling, the lamination would dwindle to gossamer cross-hatching, to a golden web, to a few glowing strands, to winking glints, and then, finally, only to the possibility of light. On and on and on. The central aisle of an airliner, the backseat of a car, stale popcorn crammed in cushion cracks. A coal mine, a hospital waiting room, a long tunnel in which a breeze blew hot in one direction, then cold in the other. So many varieties of emptiness. For centuries, millennia. But every now and then, just ahead, the patter of foot flesh striking wet stone, or the lip and tongue smacks of very small mouths. And so once again the Minotaur would start to run every time he couldn't help himself. Oof! Nights, when his eyes were closed, the new girl came to lie within the hollow created by his arms and legs. But always she was silent, never a word. Her warmth was there, his sinuses filled with her smell, his memory was able to adhere to her smoothness, to her rough parts, to her every swelling and concavity, but only in a way that was like an ache, or like hunger trying to feed upon itself. It was a mystery. Mountains of skulls with stoved-in crania, ulnas protruding from eye sockets, mandibles cradling shin bones, swirling heaps of sucked yellow ribs like nests of enormous birds. The Minotaur could not help but recognize his own distinctive handiwork. It was everywhere he went, and yet he remembered none of it. So much so that he began to wonder if somehow he had turned so many corners that he had come at last to a part of the labyrinth that didn't actually exist, or if at some intersection he had accidentally turned right and left simultaneously and thereafter wandered ever farther from himself or if, in some other way, only just beyond the limit of his comprehension, he were not, in fact, the one who had spilled the blood with which his lips and hands were stained. A train station with breath-grimed marble walls and an arched ceiling portraying the night sky in sapphire tile and bits of gleaming gold. A vast hangar in which a fully inflated dirigible Gondola doors open, gangplanks lowered to a wooden embarkation deck, hovered, humming, awaiting passengers. A stadium, Klieg lights glaring, the playing field radiant, shimmering, like an acre of low green flame. And the surrounding parking lot, 
so enormous that the Minotaur felt sure he was coming again to that place where he had built his tower. On and on, one foot in front of the other, the walls receding to such a degree that they might as well not have been there, the ceiling growing higher and higher, until finally it was obscured by the blueness of empty air. Sounds arrived from great distances, indecipherable, no echo. On and on and on. The minotaur lumbered across a rusty bog and purpled with heather. Then sun all at once, a clean, salty breeze, golden sand, dune after dune, rising and falling beneath his feet, then finally falling, 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 all the way to a grey-green-blue vastness, riffled, glinting, and crossed by cloud shadows, as far as the eye could see. The minotaur stopped for a moment on the last sandy crest. The wind buffeted his ears. A line of pelicans glided prehistorically just above his head. After that, the sand fell away beneath his lunging feet. He grew smaller and smaller. Every now and then he would vanish, only to reappear on a lower incline of the dune, and then upon another even lower, until at last there he was, a tiny figure moving up the shore, a minute silhouette against the mirror sand, a wavering speck, then smaller, ever smaller. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.